Welcome to the Monster Podcast. This is Justin. And this is Jay. The thing we're going to talk about today is a crowdsourced topic. And again, we're so grateful for everyone listening and for their interest and for encouraging us to record more and uh, for giving us all these great ideas for the show. So the, the this other question come, again comes from Tobacco Row, and it's how do you go about determining if something is fake or trimmed? And maybe I'll let you lead this one, Jay. Sounds good. So I think we should actually discuss those two items in sort of different conversations, just because the the, the narrative is going to be reasonably different. Yeah. As far as talking about cards that are fake, let's first consider common cards. Generally, these cards are not faked. And when they are, they are so egregiously bad, even a very big beginner is going to be able to tell that this is a fake. I'm talking about cards that are perforated, cards that say reprint at the bottom, etc. You really don't see good quality fakes on commons simply because even in good shape, there just isn't a financial case for someone to um, create a fraud of that kind. Not that I want to give anybody any ideas. However, when you do see a, a, you know, a reasonable number of fakes is on the better cards, let's talk about Ty Cobbs then. There are a reasonable number of Ty Cobb fakes out there. I think they range from sort of laughably bad to all right. But I think once you get the handle of, hand, you know, once you spend some time handling a good number of these raw cards, buying fakes is really not going to be something that's on your radar. In fact, my dad actually asked me last night how often and I buy fakes and I I've really only had one incident with fake cards and in fact they weren't really fake they were just rebacked so dealing with fake cards is not really that big of a thing I'm going to point out a couple tricks that I think can be really really useful in picking out reels from fakes and the big thing you want to look for is what I call snake skin or crack allure on the surface of the card. Generally, the way fakes are made is someone takes some paper and a T206 image and prints it out on a printer. But the, the print quality on the old cards is really, really difficult to replicate. And the wear that takes place over 100 years is also really difficult to replicate. So what fraudsters generally do is artificially age their cards. And one of the ways you can do that is in the oven. And then as a result, the surface cracks. You see this with old paintings as well, where real paintings have cracked surfaces if you look really, really closely, simply because that's just what happens over time. The same does, is not the case, though, on original old cards. Original cards are going to have smooth surfaces. It is not going to ever look like a snake skin. Dirt is different than a repeated pattern that shows aging. Another thing you can look for are artificially aged corners, where corners just sort of all look rounded in the same manner. While there are certainly some totally fine cards that are, you know, have perfectly rounded corners in the same manner, generally you don't see that. You see one corner is really beat and has a crease, and another corner is a little sharper. Or even if they're all a little bit rounded, they're rounded to different degrees in the amount of fraying or sort of full rounding that you see on the edges. So seeing cards that just you look at it and you're like, man, that looks like I just cut it with a scissor, does not really indicate a card that is likely to be real. There's some other things to watch on fakes too, like the ink color and the name, right, Jay? Isn't that a giveaway on a lot of the stuff I see on eBay? It's egregious, but if you don't know the cards that well, maybe you don't pick up on that. 
It is. So there's a couple things with the caption on the bottom to pay attention to. If you look very closely at an authentic T206, the font at the bottom is actually dark brown. It is not black. It's kind of hard to see it, but when you see one that's printed really poorly in black ink, it is very, very obvious that that is not correct. So one of the things to keep an eye out if you're looking at raw cards on eBay that are generally faked, the caption at the bottom, the name and the team should be in dark brown and not in black. Or blue or some yeah. other color, yeah. yeah. I think I think, I think think when you that, that's really a bad one. I've seen some <laughs> reds too, Lord. Um, <laughs> Another thing to look at with the caption is the font is really, really similar. While there are some cards that have heavy strikes and light strikes, I've seen some otherwise decent-ish fakes where the font's just different. The font at the bottom is always the same and it's always dark brown. And that's really one of the good things to look at because that especially just seems to be really difficult to fake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I don't know that I've seen a fake card that to the trained eye would be able to pass on the caption. Uh, another telltale sign that again, if you're newer to collecting, you wouldn't notice, so it's good to be aware of, is a T206 with a back that doesn't exist or a back variation that doesn't exist. So a lot of the fakes that pop up on eBay, for example, have Piedmont-backed cards that are the back is printed in red ink. Piedmont was never, ever printed with red ink. Or they'll have a sweet cap back that's printed in navy blue or black. That never happened. Um, so those are obviously fake. Those are backs that don't exist on any card, a red Piedmont or a black sweet capital. But then there's people will try to fake a combination that is very rare or doesn't exist. Um, and in that case, unless you know that that combination doesn't exist, which brings us back to the population reports, actually, is a good place to check to see if that card exists anywhere. If someone has a Honus Wagner with a Lennox back, for example, you know that's not something that was ever made and it's immediately should be spotted as a fake. Um, but I see a lot of fake backs and that's a giveaway for me a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. And I think... You know, one of the important things to keep in mind that we've touched on in past episodes, the cards were printed across three different years and say 150, 350 and 460 subjects. No card appears in all three of those print runs. So, for example, if you're looking at a Ty Cobb bat off, that card comes with a Piedmont 350 and a Piedmont 460. It's pretty well known and you can start to pick up on the patterns of what cards go together and become a little more experienced. If you come across a Ty Cobb bat off shoulder and it's got a Piedmont 150 back, that is always fake just because that combination doesn't exist. And we're not talking about doesn't exist as in it has not been discovered yet. We are talking about that does not exist and cannot be real. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yeah, the the image, the back, the edges, the caption, these are all things to pay attention to when looking uh, for obviously fake cards. And, of course, Jay mentioned there's ones, you know, some people differentiate. I don't think it's that important for these purposes, differentiate between a forgery and a reprint. But in terms of they're all fake. They're not original T206s. Um, there are some reprints that 
clearly say reprint. It's not meant to mislead you. It's meant as more of a collector's item or a space filler or something like that. Those are fine, but make sure you're paying the right amount of money for those. So $5 or less. Um, they're not worth more than that. Um, but there's some out there that, you know, they're on eBay right now. If we went and looked, there's probably dozens, if not more, fake cards being sold as real cards that have telltale obvious signs that you don't even need to click into the post to see. And that is perforation on the edges, uh, the weird caption, uh, the snake skin that Jay was talking about. Once you've seen this a couple times, it becomes very easy to spot. And even if you just have one beat up old common T206, you'll get a sense for the look and feel of what that should be like and be able to compare it to anything you're seeing online or at a show. Exactly right. I'm going to add a couple other additional telltale signs of fakes, specifically in the eBay and online sphere. Um, Cards that were purchased at estate sales, almost <laughs> always fake. Cards that were found in in somebody's attic, and we're not certain if they're real and they haven't been graded, so therefore I'm selling them as a fake. That's always fake. I sell hundreds of real cards that are not graded on eBay, and if I know that and I'm selling real cards, I am never, ever going to say that just because my card is not in a PSA holder that therefore I'm selling it as a fake. Do I sometimes get questions from people saying, is this a real card? Yeah, that does actually happen sometimes. And then it's very easy to just say, yeah, all my cards are real. However, when you're reading this, and I know this sounds really funny when we're talking about this, but there are literally hundreds upon hundreds of listings that use these exact same <laughs> theology. This stuff is always fake. Yeah, if you have a card you think is very valuable and you know that grading companies exist enough to mention you didn't send it to them, then if you actually had a card that you thought was valuable, you'd send it in and get it graded and then sell it because you're going to be able to sell it for more money. Yeah, you, I think, it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> because people generally are like, oh, wow, I found this good card. It's valuable. Let me try to maximize value. That's yeah, no one's going to find a rare, <laughs> expensive card and just try to unload it for a few bucks on eBay and say, well, I don't know. You figure it out. Um, luckily if on eBay, if someone is selling you something that they're saying is original and it comes back as a fake, then you're protected and you're protected through PayPal. But if they're selling you something that is an unconfirmed original, then you might get, uh, left in a lurch and not have any recourse. So again, I think those are, those are great points, Jay. If something seems fishy or there's some extra language in there, that's, making you think that this might be a super good deal. It's not. Uh, steer, steer clear. Another really good thing to do if someone's considering buying any sort of a sizable, whatever sizable means to you, sizable purchase of a raw card off the internet, ask a friend, get a second opinion. I mean, I, I consider myself very proficient in the identification and, and knowledge, T206 knowledge generally. But if I'm buying a $2,000 raw card off the internet, I'm going to ask a buddy if that looks all right to them too. And generally, we're going to have the same mind. But if you ask two or three people and you get two or three answers, well, that starts to be a head scratcher that might influence whether or not you make that purchase. Yeah, absolutely. Um so that's mostly about fakes. Do you want to talk about alterations separately? And then I'm thinking maybe we talk a little bit about how the grading companies identify these, you know, the, at least on the altered cards, how they identify them and how you can differentiate between the different grades, AAA and all of that. But did you want, you want to talk about like uh, 
skinning and trimming a little more or no? Definitely. So I think when you're talking about raw T206 cards, especially in nicer condition and of better players, the really big worry in the not exactly buying what you think you're buying is that the cards are trimmed or altered in some way. There's a lot of different things people can do to cards, but generally the most common, the two most common, we'll say, things that people do, people that are nefarious that want to screw you will do, is they will cut a little bit off the border, making a rounded corner a, a sharp square. Or if there's some spots on the front of the card, they're going to add some color to camouflage it in. This can range from being grossly obvious to really, really subtle. And this is something to be a little bit worried about when you're buying raw cards. So the first thing to pay attention to with trimmed cards is just look at it and see if it looks okay. Looking at a card that just looks like it doesn't have a lot of borders or the borders look really wavy or the corners are really beat up but then the borders are perfect or vice versa the borders are the you know the borders are beat up and then the corners are perfect some of that stuff just starts to weird you out a little bit it's probably trimmed Another thing to pay attention to is these cards were printed in a pretty high level way for the time and they're Let's say they are cut not to a uniform size. However, there is a reasonable range to expect. A card is generally one and seven sixteenths of an inch by two and five eighths of an inch. Generally, most cards are really, really close to that. That said, though, American Beauty backs especially are narrow, and there are a large number of cards that are big and small that are not altered. So a very good but not exactly perfect method of determining trimming is measure a card, carry a ruler, and measure it. If it's a quarter of an inch short, it's trimmed. If it's a sixteenth of an inch short, it's in a maybe, maybe not category. One of the other things to start to pay attention to, though, is the cards are perfect rectangles. If the top border is not parallel to the bottom border, that card is trimmed most of the time. Enough for this purposes of this conversation to say if the borders are not parallel, they're trimmed. This is especially noteworthy on cards that are diamond cut, which it's a little bit difficult to describe, but basically imagine someone turned the paper a couple degrees in the printing process, so the cards are sort of mounted at an angle. There are some that are at a really steep angle. If the angle on the top doesn't match the angle on the bottom, the card is trimmed. If the angle on the top matches the angle on the bottom, it's most likely not trimmed. And when we're talking about trimming, we're talking about sometimes a sixteenth of an inch, a thirty or second, less, or, or less, yeah, a thirty second, a sixty fourth. So little, a tiny sliver that's done professionally that, unless you're really attuned to it, you're not going to notice it. Um, but again, when we're talking about trimming, most of the time you're talking about uh, usually a more valuable card. And people looking at those cards will be a little more suspicious of something like that. Yeah, uh, usually it's not going to be on a comp. I've actually come across a lot of commons that look EX or so where they're actually trimmed. Most commons that are in really, really nice shape have found their way into holders. I know we just spent a lot of time talking about how a lot of commons don't make their way into holders, but for whatever reason, mid-grade commons generally seem to be graded a lot of the time. I was talking to somebody recently who was considering putting together sort of a VGEX EX set, and I'm just like, man, that's going to be really hard for you unless you crack a lot of holders. There are not a lot of EX 
unaltered cards floating around out there. You just don't see too many of them. When you see them on eBay and they sell for, you know, $75 because they're in nice shape, a lot of those tend to be trimmed. Mm, interesting. I, di I didn't realize that. But I also collect lower-grade cards, so I'm usually not in that universe. Um, but I guess that's when you see the price bump too, right? That's when it, that's when it becomes worthwhile for somebody to yeah, exactly. trim a common. Yeah. If you buy a pile of commons and you're paying 20, 25 bucks a piece and you pull a VDEX card, it's probably worth sending it to PSA for eight bucks because if it comes back a four, a four is worth 70, $75. So you start to have a logical case to spend the eight or $10 plus exorbitant shipping to get cards graded. Yeah. And now at least for fake cards, those are not going to be graded by a grading company, but cards that are altered in the ways we've talked about, whether they're trimmed or recolored or if they have factory problems to them, but mainly things that people have done to them, uh, the grading companies will grade them with certain designations that I think are not totally clear to people. So maybe we should get into that a little bit. Yeah, it's not, it, it is a little bit opaque, but I think you can start to piece together what the grading companies are trying to tell you. So to start with PSA, PSA will take a card that is authentic, but has been altered and we'll put it into a holder and they will label it authentic altered, which is basically saying this is a real card, but someone did something malicious to it and now it cannot receive a number grade. PSA will also take very, very ugly beaters and put them into an authentic holder if they are not, they don't deem, a, are not worthy of a number grade. However, the holder PSA is going to put them in, it's just going to say authentic. So if you see a card in an authentic holder, it's probably just a beater, but a card that specifically says authentic altered is going to have trim, recolor, something of that nature. And SGC also designates cards authentic, but they don't have any more granularity than that. They don't. However, if you see when your grades pop that you get an A, if you call really quickly, a lot of times the guy on the phone can ask the grader and they can share a little bit of information as to why the card is graded. Alternatively, if you tell the grading company not to put your card into an authentic holder, sometimes they send back a little index card that says, you know, authentic altered, and that's why they didn't put it into a number grade. But generally, SGC will not, if you're just looking at an SGCA holder, a lot of times it's hard to tell specifically why that card made it into an A holder. And as SGC's gotten a little bit more risk averse over time, there have been a lot of cards that I've seen in SGCA holders where I really don't think they're altered in any way and they don't look like they're beaters but yet they're still in an a holder so you know that lack of authentic altered information does make a difference yeah so you know there's a lot of tools available to help people kind of navigate this right there's obviously this podcast there's lots of things to read on the internet and we'll post some of those links um, but there are also some literal tools of the trade you can be using and jay mentioned one of them which is a ruler uh, I know some of some people in the in the tobacco row and other rooms I'm in joke about being the nerd at the show who walks up and pulls a ruler out of their pocket, but it could save you from getting fleeced, um, you know. And it's not always malicious. You know, someone selling a card might not know it's trimmed, and you might be able to catch something like that. And in that case, the person selling it to you might be, be able to get some recourse of their own and go back and get refunded or compensated in some way. So it is worth carrying a small little school ruler in your pocket. Again, it only has to be a couple inches because the cards aren't that big. Uh, a second thing we haven't talked about with regard to the cards, Jay, and fakes, but 
having buying a little loop l-o-u-p-e loop off the internet from ebay or something allows you to get a real great close view of a card and you could see the printing pattern and back when they were printing t206s if you get really close with a loop you can see that they were printed with tiny little colored dots and that those dots are not uniform in size and if you compare that to a fake card that was printed in modern times those dots are uniform they're usually in size and more uniform in color consistency and there is a pretty uh noticeable difference when you get that close-up view um so i don't ruler, think, i don't you know man i don't think you're really a nerd until you're bringing a loop to a show <laughs> yeah you might look nerdy but you might save yourself a lot of headache and heartache and money uh by taking 30 seconds and pulling a loop out so yeah i mean i think uh a ruler and a loop are must-haves if you care enough about collecting that you're looking into whether the cards you're buying might be trimmed or altered or maybe fake in some way. Is there anything? I'm trying to think if there are any other practical tips that people that are easy for people to. I'm gonna to give I'm gonna give a really useful life hack that I use if you don't have a ruler because I don't carry a ruler and I've actually never looped a card before. Um, if you take a card that you're very certain is not trimmed, maybe it's already graded, or you look at it and it just looks to be, you know, of the right size, or even if you can take three or four raw cards, if you hold up a card that you think may be trimmed and you line up the borders and then you see if the other cards are sufficiently bigger and whether or not the border is at an angle, it's a really, really useful tool. Again, we know the cards are not all of a uniform nature, but sometimes when you hold up one card next to three you can just say hey this one's not right yeah and we kind of touched on this when we were talking earlier in the episode about the number of cards in each grade that have uh end up on the psa population report um and with regard to the psa 10s and they might not actually be psa 10s if someone went back and looked at them there are cards that are altered or trimmed or otherwise altered in some way that make it into slabs undetected. And that's been a more of a problem recently, but I wonder if it's just a, at least worth addressing that, uh, addressing that briefly, that just because a card, just because a card is slabbed doesn't mean it's completely immune from some kind of uh, alteration that a grader didn't catch. Um, this has been a big deal in the in the collecting in the vintage collecting community, especially, but certainly even in the modern card collecting community over the past year or so, where a scandal involving trimming very very high dollar rare cards uh, emerged, and it happened to affect a lot of T206 cards, uh, including ones that had been slabbed and uh, graded as authentic autographed t206 cards that actually had fake autographs on them uh, so just because something ended up in a slab does not mean it's not altered even if it doesn't say so so if you are spending big money on something uh, take that ruler out take that loop out really pay attention because you can't always trust what the flip says on one of these uh, slabs ask a friend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the best thing to do. Grading companies have their purpose and they're generally very good. I'm not going to throw shade at the grading companies, but at the end of the line, there is some dude sitting there who is human. It might be his job to grade cards. And even if he gets 99 point whatever percent dead on for not being trimmed and is really, really good at differentiating a three and a four, 
everybody makes errors and it happens and it's not that big of a deal it's just you don't want to be the one that gets stung even though your card is still going to be in a holder that's got a number on it if it is a trimmed card collectors will pick up on that and you will see lower demand because a card is not graded appropriately plus if you're spending a lot of money you want the card to be legit so it's not great in that in that fashion either yeah, but keep in mind, I mean, if you've been collecting for a while or not even, I mean, it does not necessarily have to be a long time, but if you've ever graded a card that you felt came back and was undergraded or bought a card that was undergraded, flip that around. There's cards out there that are also overgraded and don't deserve the grade they got. So again, I think that's the exception, not the rule. That's not happening uh, regularly, um, but there are cards that are undergraded out there and there are cards that are overgraded out there. And some of those overgraded cards have been altered and it has gone undetected. And again, this isn't so much a big deal for people collecting low grade uh, commons or lower dollar cars. But when you start to get in the high hundreds and thousands and ten and hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, obviously that makes a difference. So it is, people it is got burned. I was just going to say it isn't such a big deal in Justin's set whether the card has sharp corners because if the card doesn't have corners to begin with it isn't an issue yeah <laughs> that's right i don't you know i think i I, th I think it's weird when i see a t206 that has sharp corners because i'm so used to dealing with ones that look like they never had a corner so um yeah sharp <laughs> i don't have to worry um, about we're throwing, throwing a little shade at justin's collection but it is it is it is a thing i mean most most t206 collectors are generally collecting cards that are in the lower grade even if you're building what i'd call a mid-grade set in the two to three range most of my twos and threes look really good the corners are touched the closer you look at them and god i'm sure if you bought the loop that justin was telling you all to buy you look really closely at the corners they're going to be pretty frayed <laughs> that's right so yeah get get yourself uh, a ruler and a loop even if you don't bring them out to shows even if you only have them in your house at your desk or whatever um but they might save you from disaster once or twice or maybe more than that um we had another question from folk. Someone wanted to know about pricing on T206s, Jay, and I know you and I talked about this a little, pricing on T206s and how they're really going to affect uh, collecting in, in the next generation uh, and if it's going to prevent people from being able to put these sets together or subsets together because prices have risen so much. So I think you run into a lot of different things here as to whether the cards are still going to be, you know, interesting to the younger generation. I consider myself a part of the younger generation. Um, I really like old cards. I know a lot of people that I'm very friendly with in cards are also under, say, 30 or under 40. And definitely we're not anywhere near sort of baseball, the say baseball card golden years in you know, the 50s or 60s, anything like that. We all grew up in the, in the junk era. And as a result, found our way maybe to the 50s and then to pre-war or found our way directly to pre-war. But I think it's, there's you've seen a lot of trends where as people become more immersed, if they don't really like modern cards they don't really like you know hunting for lottery tickets and packs etc you know ty cobb isn't gonna have to have tommy john surgery because ty cobb's been dead for 80 years <laughs> yes yeah, it's, so it's a little bit macabre but i mean it's a serious thing i mean ty cobb is always going to be ty cobb and as long as people care about baseball and care about the history and compared to other sports baseball fans tend to really really have an appreciation of the game and its history people will always want to have some sort of a connection to the greats that passed long before they were born yeah and i think 
<clears throat> I mean, I didn't get into baseball by osmosis. I got in the, into baseball in a very explicit way. I mean, my grandfather brought me to baseball games when I was a kid starting in 1986, and that's how I got exposed to the game and to collecting through him and through that relationship we had. And that's what drove it as a child, and that's what drove me to revisit it, those fond memories. So I think that if there are younger people growing up uh, who are lucky enough to have a parent or a grandparent, like a lot of the folks you and I interact with Jay in uh, in Net 54, Tobacco Row, who are planning to pass these sets down to their kids or their grandkids. I think you're going to hopefully see that continuity there, that it is a personal family connection that they want to continue and then pass on to other generations. Um, in some cases, that's going to be possible, but in some cases, it's not because it does take some level of disposable income uh, to be able to collect these cards, especially some of the bigger ones. I mean, not everyone has two grand to shell out for a green cob, and that's not the only way to collect the set. Um, but especially when we're thinking about being quarantined during the coronavirus uh, pandemic and people losing their jobs, uh, collecting T206s is not going to be at the top of their list, or a lot of them, at least. That's exactly so. And we actually touched on some of these cost-related um, thoughts in a, in a prior podcast where we basically discussed a $25,000 salary cap for how you could build an entire set and on around a $25,000 budget. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's easier four. said than done, but twenty five grand still a lot of money. I mean, there are plenty of people that that could be more than they make in a year. But, you know, you're talking about a set that is very old, a set that is very collectible, and also a set that can be collected in basically an infinite number of ways. So if you find that this is not something that you are going to have an interest or an ability to throw that kind of money at the cards, maybe you collect your local team set. Hope you're not from Pittsburgh, but you, <laughs> you, you want to collect a team set. Say you're from Cincinnati or St. Louis or New York or Boston. These are team sets that are all going to be very attainable to buy in low grade. Yeah. And again, we've talked about this probably on every single episode about the the countless ways you can collect the set. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, team sets, players from your hometown, players who lived in your hometown. Uh, so I think there's a lot of ways for people to have that personal collection, personal connection to the T206 cards. So I hope that there will be that uh, continuity in collecting through the, you know, millennials and Generation Z now. Um, because, yeah, the cards are getting older and they look so different than modern cards too, that if you're brought up, if you're raised on modern cards, I don't know how you might feel about uh, a T206, but I yeah, it's not nearly is, shiny enough. Yeah. There's <laughs> not nearly enough prisms on it, but the, you know, the, we have Jay and I, or um, I wrote about this at the, that T206 life website a couple months ago that there are, you know, some of the modern companies have, over the past decade or so integrated both designs and other elements and even actual tobacco cards into their modern sets to bridge that gap and hopefully excite young collectors about pre-war cards. I know specifically when I'm at shows and I run into some of the dealers that are really good about, you know, educating kids and the public. If you've got that sort of a grab bag box where everything is, you know, one for 20 or two for two for or 10 or any of those types of boxes if you thumb through those cards and you see you know your standard 
standard 50s, 60s, 70s stuff, but you see a strip card in a $5 each box, or you see a T206 common in a $20 each box. I generally see kids get drawn to those, and those are the ones people pick out as, this one's really cool. Not to say that there aren't some cards from the 60s and 70s that are awesome. I mean, listen, a 60s league leader card that has, you know, Mantle and Frank Robinson on the front, that's awesome. No doubt about that. But when it gets to some of these older players with these crazy names and these cool backgrounds and awesome colors people really get drawn to tobacco cards yeah there's 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 so many reasons why someone might want to collect them so yeah we do hope i i mean i'm optimistic and i and i hope that people get the same fire in their belly that that you and i have and a lot of other people have about the cards so everyone happy collecting stay safe stay distance and we'll see you all soon Thank you for listening to The Monster Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at themonsterpodcast.com and on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time.